Welcome to the Keel Hauled Podcast. I'm your host, Captain Logan, and we've got a lot of Sea of Thieves news to cover today. So tie yourselves to the mast and hold fast. Ahoy there, pirates. I hope you had yourselves a good week and a good weekend. I know I did. This is the first episode of 2023. We are now going into the uh, close of the season for year four for Sea of Thieves, and we're going to be talking about uh, Grogmane. We're going to be talking about what you had to do. Hopefully you did it, uh, as well as the new ledgers, uh, some talks about PvP, also, the next adventure is uh, we're on the horizon. We're getting that soon. And I want to talk about uh, 2022 in a whole. Uh, I also want to talk about what I hope to do personally for my pirate in 2023. All that and more on this week's episode of Keel Hauled Podcast. But before I get into any of that, I have to thank the patrons because they're the ones that went over to patreon.com forward slash Keel Hauled Podcast, just like you can, to support this content uh, that I helped put out. So thank you to People's Republic, L Cute, Balls, Bam Bam Bagel, Captain Hasco, Captain Hayes, Chateau Neuf, Zombie Killer, Cloud, Cosmic Johnson, Static Mirror, Davram TV, El Jefe Esteban, Fergatron, Jabaro 5, Carl Embo, Kazia the Rogue, Lumpy SRQ, Dub Dub Goose, Evil Morpheus, Xbox Mike 29, Murphy Lives, Mutinous Max, Regis Stella, Rust Bell Kid, Norwegian, Captain Dasm, That Kilted Guy, Tian Professor, Real Big Tuna, Big Bad Pad, Mina Fairy, Music Me, The Lore Chronologist, Dead Eye Dre, Heger Owl, Jeff H, Ghost Boy 20, Evil Martha, Peter Miller, Ruski Doo, Skinny Matt, Thor Von Blitz, Windsor Chris, and Zam Wow. Thank you all so much for your support. It really does mean the world to me. First up on today's docket, let's talk about Grog Monet, which is uh, one of the the celebrations that happens over in the UK. And um, we have it every year. We've had it for a, a few many years at this point. And this is the third Grog Monet that uh, they, we are celebrating. Uh, there is a small event that was about three days long. Hopefully you guys got a chance to go in there and actually do it. Um, I think as of recording right now, there's about six hours left. So there's there's no chance that you would have listened to this and thought, oh, I, I got to go do it. But hopefully you got some time this weekend to jump in to do it. Uh, it was a, definitely a little bit easier this year i think to do it and a, a lot better than uh what it was last year when we were trying to do some of these uh different things um to try and get our next tick mark on the actual uh grog uh, uh, uh what is it cup i guess it's a tanker tanker that's what i'm thinking um so there were uh three different items that you could get access to the first one is a flag the second one was uh celebration fireworks build rat celebration fireworks and then the fourth one or the third one was the actual Grogmane annual tankard. Now, if you'd never done Grogmane in the past, uh, you would get the tankard for the first time. If you had done it twice in the past in the past couple of years, then this would have been your third mark on the actual tanker. This is one of the few progressive items that changes uh, without any past iterations. Originally, it was just the uh, original trade company items that would progress as you as you moved up in the ranks of actual uh, from zero to 50 with the original three trade companies um, you'd get different items like a like a spyglass or a, a compass or a shovel and those would progress as you got later and later in the actual ranks um, the only thing to do that nowadays uh, is really just this tankard outside of the original three and then i think um actually i think the reaper's bones was the last one that technically you could do progressive 
iterations of uh, with the zero to zero to 50 for their cosmetics as well, too. I'm probably missing something, but it, it's not really relevant. Um, you probably remember and might actually tell me in the future. Um, there were six different tasks to be able to do. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, six tasks. You only had to complete four of them uh, to get everything. And most of the things that you had to do were all pretty much copy paste from last year's Grog Monet. The difference this year is that this year, um, the getting drunk was a lot easier to do in the sense that uh, last year, for example, I was running through this with Caleb and every time we would get drunk, uh, we would jump in the water. And when we jumped in the water, we noticed that we didn't quite um retain the quote-unquote drunk status uh this year it's a lot clearer um in in some aspects you definitely had to get drunk and you definitely had to throw up uh once you were throwing up or getting sick um that was when the game would actually register any of the things that you had to do so of the things that you had to do um you had to get drunk and uh and, and this was kind of everyone i think all agrees that three tankards in the ship a fourth tankard in your hand go out to go do some of these things and then kind of sip on the fourth one while you're doing it so that way you kind of stay in that state um you had to dig up two chests which can be tough uh you hit it had to hit an enemy ship whether it was another person or a skeleton ship uh you had to defeat three ocean crawlers you had to destroy uh 10 skeletons with firebombs you had to capture a chicken, pig, and snake, uh, or you had to defeat a shark. Um, I got all of these done except for the capturing a chicken, pig, and snake. Um, I think those are some of the harder ones to actually do. I think the skeletons are next in line for that because it, it really does... Um, it is still kind of tricky when it registers whether or not the skeleton died from fire. Um, but I was able to get th this done. Uh, I ran it with uh, Kylia the aficionado and Big Bad Pad uh, on a Saturday. And we went out to work on our ledgers, which I'll, I'll talk about in a bit here. Uh, but we, we essentially went through the different things. We threw down a, a gold hoarder and threw up our emissary flag and then uh, shipped up over to Cannon Cove and worked on Cannon Cove and Wander's Refuge for a while, um, taking turns getting drunk and digging up chests. And uh, we also worked on our ocean crawlers and our skeletons at that point. And for the, for the most part, it was pretty simple. I think when we first loaded in, uh, Patty was already in the water trying to get a shark to spawn. Uh, and thankfully, um, his efforts there enabled me to be able to uh, get the three drinks and get the fourth and then hop into the water to be able to kill the shark. And that was once we got that done, that was already one knocked out and we already got our flag. Um, a lot of these were team-based, which was nice. I think the only ones that weren't were, um, I want to say the chests and uh, potentially, you know, the fire bombs definitely were, the ocean crawlers were. I think the enemy ship was, it, it, it's hard to know because you're you're so in the moment um, when you're actually doing this that it's hard to go in and check and see like, okay, who got credit for what? But I'm pretty sure most of this stuff was achievable um, as a team on a ship, which I hope everyone got a chance to do. I know there's a couple folks that were trying to do it or skipped out on it this season because uh, they either didn't want to or didn't have an opportunity to do it with someone else where it would be a lot easier. I personally tried to do some of this uh, alone the other day when I uh, hopped onto my sloop um, just on lunch break and uh, headed out to, uh, what did I, where did I go? I think I threw up an Order of Souls mission and I headed over to Crook's Hollow. 
uh, which is usually a pretty easy place because a lot of the time the skeletons spawn in that little uh, little uh, four-way section underneath the actual island, the the rock uh, caves and stuff, um, where the little beetle is on the the rock. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, usually you can you can usually get skeletons to spawn there pretty easily. Um, and I got I would say like maybe seven or eight skeleton done uh, from from that one there. Um, but after a while, I, I just ran out of time for that moment and I had to uh, go do other things. So it was, it was nice to be able to go in and, and get most of that all knocked out. And then once you're done, you're completely done. And it's nice to put away the whole getting drunk and stuff because um, I really feel bad for some folks that are having trouble with it. In fact, I saw a video on Twitter today day where someone was working on the skeletons and they got drunk they hopped into the uh, water got on the island and right as they got on the island an ancient skeleton spawned and they were so drunk that they got a few swipes in but every time they went to shoot it with the eye of reach they they missed their hits and they couldn't keep up with the skeleton running away and it just ugh, i feel bad man i i hope i hope not too many people ran into that instance because that's that's got to feel bad, especially running solo, trying to get some of this stuff done. Um, it's, a, it's a real shame, but I did complete it. I got my third mark for my Grogman A annual tankard. I'm very proud of that. And I'm looking forward to uh, the fourth year where we'll be able to get the fourth mark and find out on the fifth year if we get a little hash mark through all four or if it changes to a V. It'll be interesting to find that out because I think year four will determine whether or not we're going by Roman numerals or by hash marks on the actual tankard. I don't know why that that seems to matter to me. But Grogmanet's done. Um, by the time you're listening to this, uh, welcome to 2023, everyone. I hope you all had a safe, safe New Year's Eve. Um, mine was very weird. I played board games and uh, ate pizza with my wife and uh, found out that um, the, the, the alcohol that we got was just extremely potent and, uh, just how, how much I'm not in for potent alcohol anymore. I've gotten those years out of my system. Now <laughs> my twenties are over my thirties are over now that, that I think about it. And I'm just not, I'm just not there for that kind of stuff. So we had to, I had to uh, put a lot of other stuff into it to, uh, get it to taste like something I could actually live with. Um, but it was uh it was really interesting because we we tried watching a bunch of movies and, and there's been a lot of storms in California recently or at least in my area, so we ended up uh not losing power, we ended up losing internet which confused me but we lost internet for about twelve hours so there was a lot of uh pulling out Blu-rays and tossing them into the system and watching uh, special features for for movies <laughs> over the last uh 12, 12 to fourteen hours of that time. Um, but hopefully everyone else had a pretty good uh, holiday as, as far as the weekend's concerned. Next on the docket, I wanted to bring up the monthly ledgers. Um, this is the second month for season eight. Uh, the Banjo and the Hurdy Gurdy are available for all of the different companies. Hopefully you all managed to get all of those knocked out in the first month. Um, for those of you that haven't, you still have another chance this month. Make sure you're working towards your ledgers. Even if you're just going in for one session, uh, going to get like, um, I would say like a, like a sea fort or working on a, a voyage or something like that, or you happen to sink a, a skeleton ship or something like that, always try and think about cycling between the different um, trade companies. That way you are slowly working on that stuff. Athena and Reapers are always going to be the toughest if those aren't your focus because 
you're always going to have to really focus on doing Veil missions, which are the easiest way to get to grade five and get the most Athena loot. And uh, Reapers just kind of going out and trying to get as much from other players, um, which is uh, not too hard if you're um, good with PvP and able to jump into the battle for Sea of Thieves and hopefully find some defenders who have a fair amount of loot that you can go and turn into Reapers. Um, those flags really make a big difference in that reputation towards the ledger progress. So um, best of luck out there for folks that are working on those. I think... Um, this last month, I was barely pushed out because I'd worked early on my Athenas and Reapers, and I was just barely pushed out of the top because of the Gift and Glory weekend that we had a couple weeks ago. Um, so I, I just barely missed out on those uh, this month. So I got to go back and, and grind up the Athena and Reapers bones, which it's not too big a deal, but just something I got to think about uh, as we're moving into this January month. Also, I got the chance to actually find out what was going on with the whole wall exploit. Um, and, and it turns out that it is something that's been going on with all of the Battle for Sea of Thieves stuff. And there's some major sweats out there who have uh, tested and figured out that you can put crates up on the edge of your boat, especially for sloops. And what that does is those crates effectively block the damage from either Eye of Reaches or, or Flintlock pistol shots, as well as some cannon shots can prevent you from actually getting top decked um, and it's kind of a shame that this is the way players are feeling like they have to play because at the end of the day whenever you are in some sort of pvp scenario uh, players will try and find the most effective means of winning at the least amount of effort which is typically referred to as min maxing in a lot of mmos you find the most amount of uh, dps for the least amount of effort um or or uh, uh like work that has to go into it so um, for like world of warcraft or for uh like final fantasy you're thinking about the rotation of your spells or abilities that you're using and what's the most effective uh means of of getting as much damage out with sea of thieves um, it's going to be something like learning how to time your cursed shots or when to use blender bombs versus double gunners or what you can do to mitigate getting one balled uh, while you're while you're trying to shoot top decks on someone else's boat right and they have figured out that crates on the side of the ship are something that can be done to mitigate this. Um, I don't believe that this is the intended use for a lot of crates so much like many of the other uh, creative uses of, of items in the game, um, I'm curious to find out like when the rare staff actually come back from break, because a lot of them are, uh, what they will decide is going to be usable. How often are people doing this? Um, personally, I think this is mostly relegated to the Battle for Sea of Thieves. Um, it's not the it's it's not preventing sinks um it's mitigating damage uh so it's it's tough to say if this is something that will really be uh kind of a a, a pandemic of sorts where rare will have to step in and make a decision about this right now i think it's something that is just being messed around with um, but we haven't seen any word from rare or any bans coming out of this so I would say that this is kind of on par with stacking crates or stools or uh, what have you on the anchor. 
Um, I think that those those things are typically things that people will do to try and make it harder for other crews. Uh, it doesn't make it impossible, but it does make it harder. Uh, so we'll we'll have to see kind of in the future if Rare decides that either things can't be placed on the uh, railing or the anchors. I think that would be kind of the the biggest thing that they could do is, is if there was a way to uh, prevent players from being able to stack stuff on anchors and uh, the sides of the of the ship um, that would probably tick both boxes for people that are annoyed for people stacking stuff on anchors and people annoyed by uh, people stacking stuff on the side of the ships um, I think if you take out those two things the people that are are defending uh, against hits and the people that are defending against borders would both have to adjust their play style they'd either have to get better at defending uh borders or they'll have to get um uh, better at dealing with uh getting hit from other players with cannons you know you'll have to you know dodge shots eat between uh getting knocked off your your cannon you know step back and hide behind the the mast if you need to um different ways to kind of like it, instead of just tanking the damage you're actually having to adjust uh, your gameplay style because a lot of this really does come down to putting enough pressure on the boat that it draws cannon fire from the players so that you can send someone over to solidify kills uh, to prevent people from being able to repair the damage that you did initially, um, which is kind of the main strategy for a lot of people. It's, it's really hard to get someone with either just boarding or just uh, naval combat, right? And that's that's kind of where a lot of people are either going to be seeing those extremes where it really frustrates them. Either people are going to be extremely frustrated by how good people are on cannons, or they're gonna be really frustrated by people who are really good uh, at locking down a ship to the point where they you, you can't do anything. Um, I think those are extremes. I think a majority of people have a little mix of both. Uh, they can get good with a few shots, but really it comes down to immobilizing a ship and putting pressure on the holes uh, that you create, and then trying to have one person who feels comfortable going over, trying to seal the deal, get those kills try and make sure that you're you're waiting for that other ship to uh sink um and and that's that's always tough right that comes with practice so if you're frustrated uh it, it is frustrating but at, at the end of the day it's just a loss it still gets you to uh progress a little bit further in your uh allegiance and that's kind of where i'm at right now um at the moment i feel like i am okay with getting losses to continue progressing my way to curses uh, that I want. I just want access at this point. I was able to go down to the Pirate Legend Tavern um, because I've had some criticisms about not being able to see what's available to me uh, to be able to know like what the driving goals are. Um, so I went down to the Pirate Legend Tavern and sure enough, everything that is available for Pirate Legends is available through the different merchants that are down in the base Pirate Legend Tavern. You can see the Mysterious Stranger stuff. You can see uh, the Magpie's Wing cosmetics. Um, the only thing you know, you can actually see the, the curses as well, too. So it was wrong of me to kind of criticize this and think that they, they should open it up. Um, I haven't been able to go double check myself on the uh, Reaper's Bones. I haven't been able to uh, log in to get over to the Reaper's Hideout because um, I just never think about actually talking to the the Flameheart Jr. because it's just, I don't know, it's not something I ever think about doing. So I haven't actually checked to see if you can see anything while you're um, 
while you're not able to access the Reaper's lair. Uh, but if you can, then that kind of solves the other criticism, the criticism that I had that there's no idea of what you're going to be able to get. No carrot on a stick to be able to see like what's available to you. But for pirate legends, it, it most definitely is. And I think you have to be a pirate legend to be able to even take part in the actual battle for Sea of Thieves uh, for the pirate legend uh, for the Athena's Alliance. Right. So um Right now, I am thinking about the the curses in the sense of it's a numbers game. Um, win or lose, I'm still making progress as long as I don't disconnect or uh, get my ship sailed out of the actual circle. So even if I am getting into a fight and anchoring in the middle of the, uh, the arena, I'm willing to take a loss if I can't win because I, I know that at least I'm getting some progress. Obviously, I want to win, but um, it's always been kind of 50-50 for me so far. I've always been about 50-50 as far as like my sinks and my or my loses and my wins. And that's that's fair. That's pretty good. You know, if this were uh, Dota or League of Legends or uh, Heroes of the Storm, having a 50% win rate is is pro. It's, it's like you're really, really good at the game if you can manage a, a 50% win rate for most players because um, most of the time players are not playing at 100% of their capacity all the time. So expecting that you should have to or that they will have to is kind of a, a, a lost cause in my mind. So if you want to actually get in there and get your, these curses, you can. Even if you lose every battle, you're still making progress. So you you can you know look at it as like, okay, I'm not getting there as fast as I normally would be if I were winning every battle but as long as I'm not getting run out of the circle I'm still able to actually get some progress it just may take longer than normal and I might actually learn something while I'm going into all of these I think right now the biggest criticism that a lot of folks have is coming down to the fact that the wait times can be long and it seems weird that you don't always get paired up as soon as you would expect based on the average wait time for the the hourglass right if you look at the hourglass a lot of times it'll say hey it's going to take two to three minutes for reapers and six to ten minutes for athena so you you throw up the uh the reaper's bones um you you subscribe to the hourglass uh sands and you open up the war table and you dive and 15 minutes goes by and you still haven't found a match um, you cancel the the dive and you come back up and you sail around uh, and another 15 minutes passes and you haven't been invaded. Um, and it's very odd because there's been instances where I've talked to people on NA servers who are uh, looking for a match as the same boat type, as the same crew number as me. And we've been opposing legionses but we weren't matched together and it makes me scratch my head and wonder like I would have been able to fight against someone that I actually know that would have been pretty fun. Um, but I couldn't and that, that it's, it's kind of strange. So I'm hoping that when the devs get back, um, they're able to work out a patch that they talked about where they want to be able to open up the, diff the different little buckets that they've got, um, to, Make sure that if you aren't fighting someone of the opposing faction, that at least you'll get a fight, even if you're fighting or fighting against someone of the same allegiance. Um, I'm still very curious to understand how that's going to work. If they will have to make a change where like the mysterious stranger will accept Athena flags to turn in. I don't know if he already does or not, because I don't think I've ever tried. Um, but it, it's something that I hope will 
continue to improve the wait times uh for the for the actual matches um it it seems like a lot of folks are kind of down on the season right now because it feels like the wait times are the biggest pain point so i'm very curious to see will we see something in the future which i'm i'm thinking that we will that will help improve the the wait times because at the moment you can sit around for a very long time or no time at all it seems like there's very few moments where you're either uh jumping in right away and you get a you get a a match and you feel great about it or you're hanging out and waiting and unfortunately when you're diving when you're invading um there's not a whole lot you can really do you're kind of stuck just waiting and that's it feels bad because as we all know as many of us have can testify over the years um sea of thieves can take a lot of your time um and you want to make sure that you're getting the most out of that time when playing so when you dive it feels like you are at a disadvantage because you aren't doing something that would normally allow you to progress uh when you're out and about and if you're defending you feel like you're putting yourself at risk because you may not be able to uh, get back to your ship in a reasonable amount of time, depending on where you go or what you do, uh, to be able to properly defend your ship. Um, so if you're working on a sea fort, you don't necessarily want to be working on a sea fort when you're defending or like a fort of fortune or like a, a fort because it's going to be actively trying to take you and the opposing team out and you may be on the the worst side of that situation additionally you don't want to be on like a an island working on order of souls or uh merchants or or gold hoarders because if it's a big island and it takes you a while to get back to your ship it could be too late you could have already uh been in a bad spot or a bad position when you get invaded and it's hard to know so there's there's like a give and take like you never want to get too invested on defending because if you do you might lose out on the next battle because of the circumstances um, which is a risk you have to take and and i recognize that likewise if you go diving you're kind of stuck in a, in a tough spot where you are giving up the ability to do anything else while you're waiting and you really don't have a good gauge of when you're going to find a match because the match times aren't currently reflecting the accurate time to uh, find an opponent um, so those are some of the things that I, I think are the biggest pain points with the community right now that I've been hearing from. Um, and I'm hoping that in the coming month, uh, we'll be able to see a patch roll in that will help try and alleviate some of those major pain points so folks can get back to having fun PVPing. The last thing that I wanted to touch on before I jump into reviewing 2022 is the new adventure. Um, in three weeks, as of recording, we are going to be getting an adventure at the end of this month called The Secret Wilds. Um, this is a, a, a an adventure right now that features the skull of Briggsy as well as a photo. Uh, yeah, well, like a painting. I don't. I don't. I can't say photo. It's a painting roughly of Madame Olivia in an Order of Souls tent uh, in the secret wilds refers to something that's going on with the secret that Briggsy had and what's been going on with the wilds why there's been areas of the wilds that have blue sky green grass growing trees you know a fervor mint of, of life and 
that's something that I'm very curious about. I cannot wait to figure out what's been going on with the wilds. Is it something that's going to spread? Is it something that's going to go away? Is it something that's just going to stay the way it is because of what happened? Um, very curious to figure out what's going on lore wise with that uh, and see like how much of the orb stream will start to unfold as we get closer and closer into the next uh, arc of stories with Sea of Thieves. Right now, this would be the second or the climax of uh, not the climax but the halfway point roughly of the three adventure tier for this section of story um, and i'm glad that we're going back to briggsy because i think this is going to open up a lot more story with the rest of what's going on with flameheart what's going on with the dark brethren court and i'm excited to see what's going to happen in the future and if we're actually going to get the captain this year Right, next up on today's docket, let's talk about 2022 for Sea of Thieves. I wanted to talk about some of the, the main highlights for each of the months, uh, kind of what they brought with them and how they kind of ended up being. Um, kicking off, we're starting off with January. January was pretty interesting because um, after a fair amount of, of silence and going into what I think was kind of a lesser uh, season with season five or season four, I think it was season four, um, we got season five and it kicked off the Sea of Thieves roadmap, uh, which has been a very interesting thing to look back on because it is a very nebulous roadmap. Um, season five was pretty good. Uh, I think we we got some really nice things that popped off in that and it kicked off uh, the community day, which I think community day was very interesting because it was kind of something that really did break Sea of Thieves for a little bit. Um, we got a lot of strawberry beard jokes uh, out of that weekend and it really showed that players and community members are very interested in events that really kind of showcase uh, themselves as well as uh, looking forward to, you know, custom cosmetics for that. Um, they had a, a, a multiplier that was going to benefit from um, not only Golden Glory Weekend, but also the fact that it would work with emissaries like and it was based around doing community stuff. Um, it was also the kind of starting or, or kickoff to the, the beginning of Sea of Thieves as uh, a new type of community events, as well as adventures, as well as a mystery. And we really kind of got a chance to see what the future of Sea of Thieves was going to be over the next year and and it was very interesting i'm very glad that they that they did that because it was it's always kind of a scary thing to look back on the roadmap and think like okay what hit what didn't hit what made sense um and what does the rest of the sea of Thieves map look like for 2023 because right now um with the delay of season seven, which we'll get to uh, in July, it was very interesting to see kind of how much was going to have to get shifted to the beginning of next year or this time right now. Uh, then we moved into February and with February, we finally got our first adventure Shrouded Isles. Uh, and we actually lost Flameheart as a world event, something that I would say a lot of folks at the time were happy to see go away, but maybe in retrospect uh, might miss seeing that big red sky in the in the uh, or the big red head in the sky. Um, and Shrouded Isles was kind of the kickoff to what Rare was going to start doing for the rest of the year. It was very light. Uh, it was not uh, a whole lot, but it did confirm a couple things. We did find out that Flameheart Jr. is actually the servant of flame 
and uh, confirm that you know he has been in game for a long time. Um, and I still I still feel like I wish that had gone slightly different. But I mean, I'm not in charge of the the, the lore at this point, so it doesn't really you know it, I can have hopes and dreams, but that's what they'll they'll stay as. Uh, but overall, I was happy to see. Uh, Bell make a a debut in Sea of Thieves. She came in strong and has been a very strong uh, character for um, the Athena's fortune, being that uh, Ramsey has, for the most part, been very quiet most of the life of Sea of Thieves. Uh, so to get Bell, having her being able to travel between the Sea of the Damned and the Sea of Thieves um, on her buoy, it has been a, a great uh, welcome to the community. And I think a lot of the community really have attached themselves to bell as a main character now which is fantastic and kudos to the uh, voice actress who has been doing uh, the voice for bell because it's, it's exceptional then getting into march um march was very i would say it was, it was positive and negative um we got the next adventure which was the forts of the forgotten which felt like they were coming in a little later in the season than I think they wanted. Um, I think they wanted to kick off Forts of Fortune at the beginning of the, the new season or the right when Sea Forts really kind of hit. Um, and we got Sea Forts uh, earlier in the month. And then I think it was about two weeks later, we got the adventure for Forts of Fortune, which was actually one of the best uh, trailers, I would say, for Sea of Thieves. Because um, we've had trailers in the past, but uh, we've had the we've had a, a new company kind of brought in to start building out all all of these different uh trailers for the different adventures they're roughly about two minutes and it was really cool to see story unfold in a cinematic approach for sea of thieves in a way that we generally don't ever get to see unless it was like an e3 event so to get these every couple or every every month uh, was a real kind of change of perspective on what we were going to have for Sea of Thieves. And I really enjoyed that. We also got the closing for Arena, which was very contentious. A lot of people were um, jumping onto ships and trading uh, shots or kills um, or sinks to be able to get as much done in the arena as possible. Arena had been kind of, I don't want to say plagued, but uh, in, encompassed mostly people going over to different islands and uh, playing team deathmatch uh, or TDM. And as a result, it mostly turned from a naval slash player versus player combat to a purely player versus player combat. And trying to get matches naturally were taking a very long time not very many people were actually playing the arena most of the people that had been playing it had already received all of their triumphant sea dog stuff as well as their pirate legend weapons and with the closing of arena we found out some interesting numbers that roughly about two percent of the player base had actually been engaging in that content and being that that content was sub subject to all of the changes that were happening in adventure it was tough for them to continue of uh, delegating resources to a mode that had so little interaction that was separate from adventure. So they made the hard choice, which I think was the correct choice, of reducing the team and putting the team that was on advent or on arena 
and pushing them over to adventure to work on content for adventure and closing the arena uh legacying out the achievements for those and giving everyone all of the ship colors or ship types that were in uh the arena um for anyone that had ever played it had ever gotten a level and if you'd reached 50 in arena then you were awarded a special uh good boy set that was the sea dog uh, uh livery set and I know that a lot of people were still are kind of a, a shame, or sad and bummed out that arena is no longer a thing. Um, I, I still wholeheartedly believe that it was a positive move for adventure mode and that we've seen changes come to the game that are trying to build and reinforce uh, what a, what adventure is to kind of um, allow folks to get the best of both, both worlds. Uh also, we got uh, visible fish names. I don't know why that stuck out to me, but uh, visible fish names was something that I, I think I wanted that I didn't know that I wanted until they put it in the game and I realized how much I appreciate it. So uh, along with the rest of the year, there's been a slew of uh, different um, changes that have come to the game that have been brought through accessibility, which I think is is fantastic. And I know that Sightless Combat has been one of the, the people that have been championing the cause for uh, bringing additional um, accessibility options that will benefit anyone uh, for Sea of Thieves. So kudos to, to him and, and everyone that's been associated with him in their sailing and helping with uh, the Sea of Thieves team to try and develop some of those additional accessibility features. Then we go into April. April brought with us two very important things. One was the uh, next adventure and the close of the first three-story arc, which was the Shrouded Deep adventure. This was effectively the year four anniversary update, and it was a callback to the original Hungering Deep where we went with Merrick's uh, help to go fight the Hungering One. We then took this and had a really interesting uh, event happen in the game. You had to work with another crew to be able to summon the Shrouded Ghost. Uh, this Shrouded Ghost did not count towards the commendations um, that are have been in the game since 2018 and uh, unfortunately still do not gain credit for those commendations. Um, you could summon a Megalodon using a flare at specific islands, which I think was a very interesting and a lovely op opportunity for what I think the Hunter's Call could do in the future. Um, you also had a very interesting ship battle at that um, event and Merrick once again broke his promise to uh, his wife in saying that he would never go hunting for another ship or another megalodon or another beast if you will um so this was another situation where i think there were a lot of really good intents with this adventure i think the adventure itself was fascinating and a lot of fun um unfortunately i think there were a couple bugs that soured the experience for some of us um namely the the shrouded ghost would cause your ship to fly away <laughs> if it hit you at the right way or people just not being able to find another crew to be able to help summon uh especially given that you had to be on that server and go and kill all of the megalodons uh to bring their souls back to a table in the middle of the island that would then spawn a beacon that people could sail over to to help summon the shrouded ghost uh i love the idea 
I think the the amount of content that's in Sea of Thieves nowadays is what really deterred people from feeling like they they that was the thing to go do, right? Hungering Deep was the first major content update that came to Sea of Thieves after launch. So everyone that was working on sea forts or killing krakens, they were looking for something fresh. And the Hungering Deep was that fresh content update. So everyone wanted to go and do it. So everyone went and did it. Um, with the Shrouded Deep, I think it was plagued by the amount of content that had already been in the game when it came out and folks that weren't too interested or had already done it had since moved on and they weren't necessarily trying to really help anyone else out during that second week, which is tough. It's really tough to, to try and build content around bringing people together to try and experience something very unique and very interesting that is a, a callback to the original days of Sea of Thieves. And they tried very hard to try and recapture some of those early, early updates from the first year that a lot of us have fond memories from. The other part of April's update brought in something that I think revitalized Athena's fortune as a faction. Uh, we had gotten a lot of content and uh, subsequent updates to the different types of voyages for all of the original trade companies. And with Athena's fortune, we got the Legend of the Veil voyage, which progressed the story beyond the sh uh, Shrouded Deep adventure and allowed players to start progressing through uh, the Athena fortune ranks at a much faster rate and feel a lot better about doing Athena's fortune for the legendary emissary stuff. Um, the emissaries had always been very tough to do. You always just saw people going out and doing the Thieves Haven runs to try and get uh, Athena fortune loot to be able to turn in each emissary month to be able to continue to get those uh, emissary ledgers done so you could get those cosmetics. And with the Legend of the Veil, not only did they design it in a way that it was modular so that you could actually have different parts of the voyage show up on a random basis, you weren't necessarily locked into doing the exact same thing every single time. Every single time you did it, it would just be a different combination of the of the three or four different modules that they had, which was nice because it brought in a little variety to grinding out these voyages. And it, it was good because you have to grind out a hundred for some of the commendations for it right and the other thing was that the uh, legend of the veil voyage was designed to give you a uh, grade five legend or, or athena's fortune for the emissary and it was designed to stay that way and a lot of us were very skeptic when or skeptical when it came out because we weren't sure that rare would keep it that way and then we found out later on that they were intending to keep it that way um, so that players felt like they could actually progress through athena's fortune and get a grade five and not feel completely annoyed at how many thieves haven runs you have to do to get the emissary voyage to be able to get the 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 chest and the keg to be able to turn in so that you could uh, progress in the emissary ranks at a reasonable rate. And the Legend of the Veil Voyage, I think, did a great job of revitalizing the Athena's fortune uh, reputation as well as emissaries. A 
Ahoy there, Pirates. This is the ad for this episode, and I did want to let you know if you wanted to avoid these and just get a regular filler, you can head over to the Patreon. There's a special feed just for patrons that get the ad-free version. If you want to keep listening, though, I can't say I blame you because this week I want to let you know about Loot Crate and getting 15% off of most crates and crate subscriptions when you use the link and code ROBOTSRADIO in the show notes. Also, you can head over to audiobooks.com, get your first three audiobooks for free, and that can include any two VIP books or use the affiliate link for Green Man Gaming. If you're a PC gamer or you'd like to save money on games, it's one of the benefit of being a PC gamer. Head over to Green Man Gaming. You can get codes for Steam, Epic, any of the different stores that they have deals going on. They have deals going on all the time. And if you plan on buying there, please consider using our affiliate link. All of that goes straight to me through the network. Thank you all so much for everything that you do to support this podcast. It means the world to me and I continue to try and improve the quality and the content for you. With that pirates, let's get back to the show. Then we headed into May and this was a very interesting update because May brought with it season six, as well as the uh, second community day, which definitely went better than the first community day, but I think still had some of the uh, pain points that were noticed in the first community day. Um, a weird thing that stuck out to me during that update was Morrow's Peak Volcano went quiet. I thought that that was the uh, heralding of Morrow's Peak as a spawn point for ships still isn't still kind of hope it would be you never know could actually change in the future here um and then it brought with us the adventure that i think was the first major community decision which was very interesting to kind of experience and that was lost sands and this is something that took place over on golden sands outpost and it was team merrick versus team uh, reaper and you you really saw kind of rare testing the waters with their first community decision. We didn't know much about what was going to happen and we didn't know um, how balanced it was. They tried to show us realistic numbers as far as uh, where the different teams were on their website. And I think a lot of people appreciated that, but it was hard to know because so many people were on uh, one side or the other or the rewards were set up so that you could do both sides to be able to get the um, commendations that when you looked at the actual results, you really saw a 50-50 split. And that's because a lot of people would go out and they would do it one time for each side and that was it. It was only uh, the, the, the real diehards that um, wanted to see either one side or the other uh, be saved. And it was either saving Golden Sands with Merrick or destroying Golden Sands with the Reapers. Uh, and that's when we started to see a lot more activity from the Reapers, um, actually see them starting to participate in actual events we actually saw them abducting people um stealing items like the the trident with uh the gold hoarder skull which we found out were veil stones to be able to look into the sea of the damned um and we found out that you know they were hiding in bushes all the time and playing Fortnite when we didn't realize it so it was really kind of cool to see the the rest of the world start to kind of come alive something that i've been asking for for a very long time i want to see more npc activity i want to see them doing daily things being engaged with the community, having tasks for us, um, things that are, are beyond the static stand in their place that they've always stood because that's where they're supposed to be to be able to sell their stuff or give us voyages. 
have more activity. That's what I'm constantly driving with my narrative with Sea of Thieves is I want to have more activity. And it was very interesting to see um, how that went into May and how people uh, really kind of uh, connected with it. Um, and some people connected very heavily with it. Uh, and that was when we started to actually get Sea of Thieves uh, or Rare as a team starting to kick back up their podcasts, something that they have been kind of um good and bad about it's it's tough for them putting out as much video content as they do and also to be able to get the team members together to sit down to talk about content in a way that it accepts that the video version or the the podcast itself is going to go out in the future so what can they talk about what's currently instated in the game that's a very tough thing to do so i don't i don't fault them for being hesitant to try and jump back into that so quickly um, but i still really love those uh those different um, podcast episodes especially being a podcaster myself talking about just sea of thieves um so may was a very interesting and a, a very unique time for sea of thieves i think it really kind of kicked off the uh adventure as well to or not the adventure the the mystery as well we uh started to find out that um at that time uh, uh ramsey's son uh, uh demarco was murdered and there was a lot of speculation that started going around about that and there was a lot of arg content that was drummed up in social media in the game as well as outside of the game to really kind of kick off this mystery um and there was a lot of lessons learned i think from this first mystery um things that really connected with the community things that didn't uh that really didn't as well as having the mystery even to this day, the mystery is still accessible to players. You can still actually go and complete the mystery if you know how. And the best way to do that is to head over to Rare Thief and look up the guide for how to solve the mystery for DeMarco's death because they've done a great write-up for it. Um, and you can follow it step-by-step step with pictures uh, for those of us that have hard time kind of in English. You know, we, we, we aspire to speak English well one day. That's that's what our hope is. Yeah. So May. Very interesting. Um, then we get into June. And I think June is kind of it, it was a very interesting month because that was the month that not only did we get the Forsaken Hunter, which was the uh, last adventure that we would get for a while. Um, it, it solidified our realizing that Merrick was killed. Um, which was very interesting to do a two-week adventure of Merrick being killed at the same time that we're trying to solve the mystery of who killed DeMarco. Whereas with the adventure, it was spelled out plainly that uh, the, the masked stranger, um, is should I say masked stranger? I guess I should say masked stranger, but it, it, it was it's spoilers for those that, that may not have been there during the time, but it's Amaranta from the Sea Dogs uh, who killed um, who, who killed Merrick and also confessed that she was not the person who killed DeMarco, even though a lot of us thought that it was, um, which we did actually find out. But I'm not going to spoil that in case you haven't done it. There's again, go to Rare Thief, look up the guide, go spend a couple hours working, working through the mystery finale and experience it for yourself. Otherwise, I think I, yeah, I've got a video of it on my YouTube channel. So check the videos if you, if you guys want to find that as well, if you just want to watch the ending, I really enjoyed doing it though. I will say I, I really did get a kick out of uh, working my way through all that. It's convoluted as, as heck though. So don't expect to work it out yourself because 
man, there was a lot that happened with people data mining the uh, the 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 actual answers to a lot of the ARG stuff. And I, I think a lot of folks just got frustrated and wanted to kick off the ending to it. So they kind of went in, dug out the answers and then posted them all over the internet for people to find. And then by the time people found it, because that's how content creation works, um, it was kind of spoiled for a lot of folks. And it was too tough for the casual Sea of Thieves fan to really keep up with. Um, even the hardcore fans, I think, still had a, had a lot of hard time keeping up with the pacing and finding of the answers uh, from the community when they did. Um, so it was a very, it was a very interesting month for June. That was also when we found out that Season 7 was going to be delayed and that Season 7 was going to deal with captaincy. And that brings us into July. July was the big delay for season seven. Um, season seven brought with it captaincy. And when we did get it towards the end of the month, it was very interesting to uh, find out some things. Um, it was bittersweet because we had been waiting for what the captaincy update was going to be. We had heard rumors, or not rumors, we had heard from Mike Chapman forever ago, back in 2017, uh, about what the captaincy was going to be um, and, and the idea of what it was. And now with season seven, having years but under uh, years of, of content creator, not creation, but uh, years of game development under their belts, uh, Rare had finally pulled together the ability for us to name our ships and to track our content uh, or, or our milestones, if you will. And it was kind of bittersweet because after three years or four years of uh, playing the game, we finally got a way to track a lot of the stuff that we do in Sea of Thieves, but it wasn't something that was retroactive except for the Shrouded Ghost, which still kind of a pain point. If you're going to do it for that, why not other things, especially if you could still track it? But the general consensus was that if you got a captain ship, you were now starting off as a captain and you were the captain of that specific ship and that your milestones would be counted towards that specific ship or any other captain ship that you were on. And I think a lot of folks are still kind of on the fence about how they feel about this or they're definitely in one side or the other. And I think it's a, it's a very polarizing thing, but at the end of the day, a lot of folks have just kind of had to swallow the answer, which is you have to accept that this is how captaincy works. And it's a tough thing, I think, for a lot of fans as well as the devs to try and have to make that uh, call. So I, I don't envy the devs um, at, at all for that because it, it would definitely be very hard for them to justify some things versus others and then to go through with this decision. But Captaincy brought with it a huge uh, gold sink, which was definitely needed for Sea of Thieves. And I think that that gold sink is um, something that has been a real boon to folks who have had millions and millions of gold because you can now buy supplies for your ship. You can now buy trinkets and, uh, 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 you know, different milestone um, trophies uh, for your ship. You could uh, actually go in and name your ship if you wanted to. And you could buy ship crests, which we still haven't really gotten any new ship crests for, which is a shame, but I'm, I'm expecting more of that kind of content in the future. Uh, and... It was nice to finally be able to say, this is my ship. This is the name of my ship. And I finally got to name my ship um, after all these years. Uh, sadly, my ship is is the one the, the, the one that I've named for a long time is actually not the one that I use the most. 
Uh, the one that I use the most is probably my Sloop, which is just out for or just on lunch break. Uh, and then next to that would probably be my Galleon, which is the keelhauled crew. Um, but overall, I would say that captaincy was a real boon to Sea of Thieves. It was close to being as big as I would say a pirate's life, which I know I kind of waver on depending on when you ask me. Sometimes I think it's better. Sometimes I think it's less as or as good as as a pirate's life because i think a pirate's life really like day one issues plagued tall tale too uh but outside of that i think um a pirate's life was probably one of the the best stories that rare has ever created in the in sea of thieves through the tall tales uh and a very succinct story that they did at that um that really still leaves a lot of question in my mind about what what's going to happen in the future of sea of thieves uh with that kind of content so um captaincy itself finally kind of check you know hit the little checkbox on the list of requests for sea of thieves uh originally the idea was that the first content update for sea of thieves in june of 2018 was going to be captaincy and pets uh, we didn't get pets until 2019 i believe is when we got the original the original three pets um and then subsequently dogs and then foxes later uh, which I would not be surprised if we got another avian uh, pet in the in the near future. Maybe we could get another type of. Uh, uh, um, um, oh, I can't think of what are they called? Uh, simians? No, um, the, the monkeys, orangutans, uh, chimpanzees. Um, I can't kombuchins. I think is kombuchin kombuchins. I can't think of what it is. Another monkey type pet. Uh, but I think we kind of check, checked that off right there. So I think we're good on that one. I, th I think we're getting another flying pet soon, but who knows if it'll be owls or not. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, and I, I'm getting lost in the weeds here. Where was I going with that? So July, uh, the delay in season seven really did push everything back. Um, and you can tell going into October, November as well, too. Um, but with August... We got Captains of Adventure, which is kind of the full, we started to see a lot of tweaks with the milestones, uh, with the name ships. Um, we also got in August, our uh, next adventure, which was the first one since June. And that was A Hunter's Cry. Now, A Hunter's Cry, I think on paper was great. Um, I think in actual practice, I think a hunter's cry was a bit of a failure for the team. Uh, I feel like they did not anticipate properly the toxicity that the community can have with players who were still upset about back in February with the uh, arena closing. And, um, or I guess it, no, it was March that the, the arena closed. Uh, and because of that, you were now put into a specifically decided like lore environment where you were going to be playing through an adventure, which was developed to progress the story. And you were going to go rescue Merrick from the Sea of the Damned from a distorted version of the Sea Dog Tavern. And as a result, Instead of what was a very interesting callback to the Sea of the Damned that we had with a Pirate's Life Tall Tales, we had pirates who were now camping and TDMing, um, pirates who had no recourse. Uh, if you if you sank, 
you spawned at the beginning of the tall tale adventure in the sea of the damned and the only way to get out of this uh this this lock case scenario was you had to cancel your hunter's cry voyage and you had to go back into the regular world you had to go sail over to uh the the um the unmarked isle uh at k9 talk to bell again and then sail back into uh the the sea of the damned uh and then hope that you got paired with another couple of crews who were not looking to pvp and looking to actually work through the pve narrative that was going on there and pvp unless explicitly turned off will always be available to people in sea of thieves um i think the 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 taking of the story and moving those to their own instance where it's just one crew is the safest way for players to be able to experience the story that's going on um and you see the struggle that rare has with making a game that is both pve and pvp they want to keep that game and that essence there and that is always going to be a tumultuous uh, uh it's, it's going to be a minefield to navigate for the team as they continue to think about how they want to progress the story how they want to uh, bring that story to the game how they're going to make it accessible for players and what's the worst thing players are going to do with that environment and i think rare really has to kind of take one on the cheek on this situation and really think about future content and what they're going to do to ensure that players aren't getting a a negative experience because of other players as they're trying to progress through stuff like this overall though i will say that i enjoyed these uh narratives i i think they did uh, and i think they are doing an excellent job of creating two-week stories that come every three weeks and allow players to really kind of see the world evolve in fact i think that um what was it uh the forsaken hunter was probably one of the best adventures that i'd played through uh because i i got to see something that i'd never seen before in sea of thieves i got to see a character open a portal to the sea of the damned which had other characters in that portal which was a a flat flat uh, uh item on the actual world like you could walk behind that thing and, and see behind it um and actually go up into the portal and traverse between sea of thieves and sea of the damned through this uh staff that they had that now had the gold hoarders skull uh tied to it and having moments like that in sea of thieves is still some of the standout content that i think about on a regular basis where i'm like man that was a moment to me that was a moment that really really spoke to what sea of thieves can do as a a storytelling mechanism and i and i still really look forward to uh situations where you're going to be able to see the world progress and the story move forward with these characters that i've i've loved and in in in, in endear for for uh, the game um play out in the actual adventure mode um which is is great and i'm and i'm wondering eventually if we're going to see the uh adventure mode kind of take over the the splash page because i'm right now we have kind of two modes we have adventure mode and we have uh, a pirate's life 
And eventually a pirate's life is going to be something that probably won't be as relevant um, as, as the story progresses. And I can imagine that contractual agreements are in place right now to ensure that players have access quickly to go see the Disney Jack Sparrow stuff if they want. Um, but I don't think that that's going to be the case for the future. And I'm, where, I'm interested to see where that goes uh, as we kind of move forward with the rest of the story for Sea of Thieves. Then we move into September. And September was the Sirens Prize uh, adventure, and as, as well as a notable change to some of the PvP that actually happens with Sea of Thieves, uh, with a promise of what was going to be a PvP-focused Season 8. There were hints and teases of this. Uh, so what happened was they actually went in and started to change the ferry times so that if you died on a sloop, you would come back to your ship faster than if you were dying on a galleon. And they also reduced the ability to be rezzed on an enemy player ship once you died on an enemy player ship that was it you couldn't be rezzed um, so it was very interesting to kind of see some of the changes that were coming that were uh foretelling the what 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 was going to be the highlight of season eight Sorry, I had to get a drink just then. Um, getting to the adventure for the Sirens Prize. Um, this was very unique to me because not only did I think this adventure uh, was one of the more forgettable ones, it was, it's tough because it's actually one of the few that gave us so much lore about the ancients and what happened to them that it's really hard to ignore that this is such an, an uh, instrumental storytelling event that unfortunately people will only be able to go back and see in retrospect um, and thanks to the Sea of Thieves wiki for having all of the journals uh, uh, brought to the Sea of Thieves wiki so that if you wanted to go back and actually check out the Sirens price um, you'd be able to or price sorry I don't know why I keep saying price um, but you'd be able to go back and actually read all of those journals which is is great for us lore hounds to be able to remember and, and think oh, okay this is what happened to the uh to the ancients and stuff and to be able to help bell with the ancients and, and bringing back the warrior it was very i don't know i feel like that's one of those ones where because i had such a hard run in with what the expected mechanics were for that adventure um, and I was so caught up with the journals that I feel like I still really missed out on what the whole point of the actual adventure was. Um, but because of that, that actually pushed, pushed us into the uh, next adventure in October, which was the Herald of the Flame adventure, which honestly I can say is my favorite adventure. I think the Herald of the Flame adventure did two things. It tied up the uh, loose ends that were going on with Stitcher Jim at the end of Heart of Fire, and it brought us to the Roar and to Molten Sands Outpost uh, or Fortress that really did kind of give us uh, a unique experience that was kind of directly tied to Flameheart. And it really did kind of say like Flameheart is for sure coming back. And that was a, a very exciting adventure. I think a lot of folks had trouble with um, some of the completions. There were some things that weren't registering, like if you tried to talk to the birds. Uh, but overall, the Herald of the Flame adventure is by far one of the best storytelling adventures that I think Rare had done. 
It was uh, exciting. It, it had really good uh, checkpoints in there built in so that if you missed out on part of it, you could jump in at different points and be able to continue from there. Um, and, it, and it genuinely was really nice to be able to kind of follow along with Bell and Pendragon as you followed the story of what happened to uh, Stitcher Jim after Heart of Fire, after he had uh, gotten uh, exposed to the curse, the Ashen curse that was in the Ashen cha uh, chest, and being able to see like what happened to him, him his madness, uh, driving him insane and causing him to, to uh, really hate Flameheart for what he had tricked him into doing, um, and then finding out that, that, that the trick was not actually a trick, but a gift, and then turning him into an Ashen Lord, and then being able to fight a Stitcher Jim version of, or an Ashen Lord version of Stitcher Jim on Molten Sands Fortress, and having all of that encompassed in roughly an hour's worth of time. It was very well done and really did utilize what I thought was uh, the something that has been kind of put on the back burner, uh, ironically enough for how hot it is, but the uh, Forsaken Shores. Um, I really think the roar uh, is, is really kind of uh, I, I lament the, the roar. I think that there is a lot that was a uh, potential for that. I think that captaincy has really helped um, be able to make going out to the roar easier. You get more uh, supplies now. You can buy more supplies and stuff, and it's just easier to deal with the roar out there. And I, I'm just I'm kind of interested to see us kind of go back there because I still think it is a very unique place, and I still think it of it. I still think of it as hard mode uh, for for Sea of Thieves. Um, but I, I really have to say that the Herald of Flame was 10 out of 10 for me. Um, little issues aside, I think it was probably one of the best adventures they've ever written. And I think a lot of that really does kind of tie to the commitment to telling or finishing the story for the last kind of tall tale that they had for Sea of Thieves, which was uh, Heart of Fire, which ironically enough, Heart of Fire is by far the the best in my opinion, the best tall tale that Rare has put out. They took into consideration the number of completions required. They built around that. The content was compelling. The, the experience was unique for each uh, little pathway that you took. And it took you to places that you hadn't been in a long time. You hadn't really gone back to the roar uh, in, in, that, in, in a fair amount of time. So it was nice to really kind of have that moment. So Having Heart of Fire after Seabound Soul um, be kind of left unattended for so long to have the Herald of the Flame adventure come in and really tie it back into the Flameheart story and really kind of tee up the, the next adventure uh, that allowed us to really kind of see what the future of Sea of Thieves is going to be, what they really, really wanted to do with Flameheart, which has been kind of this looming over, uh, looming villain that really hasn't had any teeth uh, to this point and hopefully will in the near future. Um, and that kind of takes us to some of the other stuff in October that I really enjoyed. Uh, there was the Trickster and Treaters event that had some issues. Um, it was a, a, a nice way to kind of bring back some of the go out and do this to get favors, to get content. Uh, and then eventually, I think because of some of the issues that they ran into, you could tell that... Um, this was kind of kicked up pretty quickly. Uh, and if it wasn't, I'm, I'm very curious how the testing went for it uh, because it felt like something that was in place of an October Halloween event that we didn't see until November. But 
One of the highlights that I actually personally had for October was working with Dead Eye Dre, and they created uh, a story for the Bleak Heart Banshee um, set that came to the Emporium that, for all intents and purposes, was just a normal, everyday uh, ex expansion to the Emporium sets that are out there. But for some reason, something about that set and the little bit of story that they tossed in with the flavor text for each piece really connected to me. And I got an opportunity to work with Dead Eye Dre from Golden Sands Outpost um, or, or blog blog post and actually kind of build out this story. And they did an exceptional job of writing the history behind Bleak Heart Banshee. Um, and I really appreciated that because it, it meant something to me that I don't know if the community really recognized as much as they as much as I think they should, which is players creating the story of things that have happened around Sea of Thieves that don't intrinsically change the Sea of Thieves. Like nothing about the story that we created will actually impact Sea of Thieves as far as I know. But the community came together in this case, uh, they, they and myself, and we wrote a beautiful story about the history of the Bleak Heart Mansion and the Bleak Heart Banshee. And to this day, I still look at that as one of my favorite little things that was created around Sea of Thieves because it was a story that no one was asking for except me. And someone went, took a lot of their time and worked very hard on it so that I could create a, a kind of radio story Halloween event over the course of two weeks to tell to everyone else. And I, I will be forever grateful to Dre for their time for that. Um, that kind of takes us into November, which I think was very interesting because I think Herald of the Flame, along with the Tricksters and Treaters event, uh, and then moving into November, you could see that Rare was making up for lost time. Um, because season seven had been delayed so much, uh, they really had to play catch up with their adventures. And as a result, we started getting content after content after content after content. And it was actually very exciting, but also very busy for people who wanted to experience it, um, who play other games as well, too. And in November, we got Return of the Damned, which was Team Pendragon versus Team Flameheart. Spoilers, Team Flameheart won. Um, and, and in both situations where there's been a community decision, I have sided with the losing side. Uh, this time I sided with Pendragon because I love that character and Flameheart won in the uh, battle for, uh, for, for the, the, the Golden Sands outpost. I, I went for the Reapers and Merrick won. Um, so I've always been on the losing side, which I guess is, is my lot in life at this point. But having a second uh, community decision, this one felt less impactful because it required you to go out and capture sea forts and raise a banner in the name of the team that you wanted to represent. Um, and the more sea forts that you had claimed when you had taken a doll and bewitched it by killing a soul flame captain that had been pulled in from the Sea of the Damned, um, you would then turn those dolls into the respective person. And we started to see the community do what the community does, which is try to impede other people's experience. And in this case, players were trying to spawn ghost fleets uh, or, or things um, like Order of Souls missions uh, on Shipwreck Bay 
where Merrick or not where Bell and uh, Pendragon were set up as the turn-in points for uh, the the little dolls that you had to collect from the different sea forts. Um, and this is another situation where it looked like a lot of people kind of kicked it off at the beginning of the first week. And then as you went out for the rest of the second week, very few people were out there actually claiming forts. But we didn't see the numbers for it. Um, we saw some general numbers for the the actions that happened around it. But we did get a really nice stream um, afterwards that kind of showcased which team actually won, in which case Flameheart had won. And uh, as a result, Pendragon was then banished to the Sea of the Damned and trapped within a portrait. I think he was trapped within a portrait. Um, so we are now waiting to see what the results of that community decision will be, um, as it will herald in the uh, the the um, returning of Flameheart. And whether or not he comes back as a skeleton lord as uh, he is at the moment, or if we will see him brought back to a human form as a result of the latest adventures and the curse that's going on with that remains to be seen. Um, but season eight kicked off in November and it was the beginning for the battle for the Sea of Thieves. And this was met with uh, a lot of praise. Um, a lot of folks are very happy with season eight because it brought PVP back to Sea of Thieves in a very interesting way. Much like I talked about in the beginning of this episode, some of the issues that folks are having with it now. At the beginning of season eight, everyone was uh, in, in their honeymoon phase with it. Um, plenty of people were jumping into the mode. You could get a battle almost instantly. And folks were really starting to learn how good or bad they were at Sea of Thieves. And many players started to notice that there were completely new areas of different parts of the world that were only accessible to those that had reached level 100 with these two new factions that had been, had, that had been tacked on to the existing factions that we had already. So now, in t on top of being level 75 with the Reaper's Bones, you now had to progress to level 100 in your allegiance to the Reaper's Bones uh, to be able to gain access to the Reaper's Lair. You would then get access to the Skeleton Curse, as well as uh, the rest of the different augments to the Skeleton Curses um, by progressing beyond level 100 up to 200. The max, of course, uh, the max reward being at level 1000 and being able to cap out, I think, at 9,999, but no one is probably going to be able to reach that for quite some time. A lot of folks have been able to get to 1,000, the, the top echelon of, of players out there in the community, the real true PVPers who have a lot of skill and, and uh, fortitude for that kind of thing. And I personally am at the point where I'm bummed out because I am not anywhere close to getting to 100. Um, I deal with anxiety, I found out. And uh, it's something that's prevented me from being able to play a lot of horror games. Um, but it also is also something that prevents me from jumping into PvP. Something about playing against other players and knowing that there is a skill gap there that I am dealing with um, really kind of gets my, uh, uh, my heart rate high. And I get anxious and I have a really tough time overcoming that uh, feeling of, of adrenaline. Like being able to stay calm in those situations without... Uh, locking up or, or feeling like I'm I'm causing the issue here. So for me, the PvP experience has been a halting moment 
where I can't go see a lot of the new content that I want to see that is tied to the lore of the game. Because at the moment, my my personal issues um, are prohibiting me from getting there as fast as I would like to get there. I would love to be able to get down into the Reaper's Lair to be able to check it all out and to see what's going on with the tree because I know that the tree is now tied to lore thanks to Mike Chapman's teases. Um, but because... I can't PvP that much at once um, without really feeling like I need to step back or step away or go calm myself. Um, I feel locked out of that content. And it's it's a true bummer for me because I really want to go check it out. I really want to get my skeleton curse. I really want to uh, get my my ghost curse. I want to go visit those places, and I'm and I'm looking forward to that time at some point. Um, but I, I'm I'm disparaged by by things that are are preventing me that I can't change about myself. It's it's tough to feel like I'm not I'm not my body isn't allowing me to go do the things I want to do because I, I just can't process those emotions uh as well as other people. And because of that it's it's a hindrance. So it's a real shame. Um but I'm still trying. And I think that's the key. I think the 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 fact that I'm going in, I'll do one or two matches and then I have to stop and say, okay, this is as much as I can handle I, I need to go do something else. I need to go relax. I need to go like fish or something like that to, to get out of this feeling, this, this anxiousness that I'm dealing with right now. And that kind of brings us to December. December brought with it uh, the adventure, the Rogue's Legacy, which was kind of a fun hearkening back to the original Tall Tales with Tasha and the Cursed Rogue, uh, as well as the the uh, story times, you know, the, the, the stories that Briggsy would tell Tasha as a kid uh, that her father said were all lies um, until she found out that they were all true stories. So we also uh, got an opportunity to see that there are some changes going on with the Wilds as a result of this adventure. And the Wilds is now in an interesting place because a lot of people really don't like the Wilds. It's oppressive and it's intended to be oppressive because of the design behind it. It's designed to make you feel sad or unhappy. And while you're there, you're not necessarily having as much fun as if you were in the Wilds uh, or, or the Ancient Isles um, or the, the Shores of Plenty, right? So you feel better when you come out of the Wilds, which causes a lot of folks to not want to spend time in the Wilds, especially with horrible islands like crooked masts uh as opposed to like the the really nice ones that are like kraken's fall um, or um, um old faithful things like that right so as we were getting into this uh rogues legacy adventure we started to see little patches of the world come to life on these dead islands and it really does bring a lot of cool questions that i've talked about in the past about so um, i'm looking forward to seeing where that goes also with december we got some very interesting changes to the world um we got blunder bomb kind of fixes to the balance for Sea of Thieves. I think Blender Bombs were something that a lot of folks were noticing were too powerful in Sea of Thieves when it came to PvP. And a lot of battles were decided amongst those, as well as who got cannons first. And I still think that there's a lot of legitimacy to uh, the idea that pirates are coming into matches and whoever happens to get the broadside first generally wins the bout, um, which is a shame that it that it comes to that, because I think that that unfortunately really does kind of put the the invader and the defender on on equal terms in some cases but 
it really does depend on how well the defender can respond because typically in my experience the defender has first opportunity because they know it's coming they know it's coming dead ahead and they can start working on their sails and turning the boat faster than the invader who has to wait for the actual emergence to be able to gain access to their characters to be able to go and turn and actually like you can do as much prep work as you want uh, before you actually arise out of the water but even if you raise the sails on your ship and and turn the wheel as soon as you get out of the water on an invasion your sails are all down your wheel is set to center and it's tough because the the defender can always take first advantage of that case and i think that that's kind of a shame um so i'm hoping that that's something that maybe we can have a discussion on to see if that is as integral to a win or a loss as i i think it may be or if, if it's really not as big a deal as, as uh, I'm making it out to be. But one of the amazing things that did actually come from this uh, patch update was supply barrels. Um, you now get more supplies when you actually load up a ship or if your ship respawns. And when you sink a ship, even if it's your own, the barrels from those ships actually float to the surface and you have about 15 minutes to be able to go and actually grab those supplies. So when you load in, you can actually scuttle go grab a mermaid, sail back over to the outpost, which generally is one island away from where you scuttled, grab your barrels, buy a supply crate, and get double of the supplies for the, the you know 15 minutes that it takes to scuttle, sail back over, and grab your barrels out of the water. It's fantastic. I really love the, the concept of this. And I love the idea that the, um, the ship that wins expended as much uh, supplies as it needed to be able to sink the other ship if it expended a lot of supplies and the other ship had more supplies and less skill then you're rewarded by getting those supplies um there's it's tough because i think i've seen a lot of folks really come to the to the agreement that generally after a couple of fights uh, you're going to have more cannonballs than you ever need, um, which is is a weird place to be in a game that potentially could be made to uh, really kind of handle uh, wars of attrition, where it really will come down to how many cannonballs you have. And if players are running into a situation where they are sinking people that have a lot of cannonballs and you have 2000 cannonballs after a few matches, it's going to be really hard for other players to combat that if they're coming into a fight. Um, with not nearly as many supplies if they've just been getting into the game and they didn't buy or they didn't stock up. So I don't know how well you can really attribute uh, what's going on with the the balance for that to um, something that you, that can be fixed with a patch or not. But we'll, we'll have to kind of see and, and, and Rare will ultimately decide if it's as big an issue as it needs to be. Um, but still very interesting that they did this. I think this is something that honestly should have been in the game from the start. I don't know what tech they've put into the game that didn't allow for them to have this in from the start. Um, I think Barrel 2.0s uh, back in the, in, in, gosh, was it the second year? I think it might've been the second year when the Barrel 2.0 system came into play um, and everyone hated it then, but no one's complaining about it now. Um, I think that the, the supply barrels floating up from wreckage really ought to have been uh, something that came earlier in the game. 
um, because it really is probably one of the best changes that I've seen. Better than stools, better than fireworks, better than uh, quest boards. I, I, I better than you know dark adventure set sales. Um, supply barrels, I think, have been one of the biggest boons uh, to the quality of life for Sea of Thieves than anything else that's really come in a long time. I think harpoons and storage crates are like the other two standouts that I would say like. If Sea of Thieves didn't have these things, Sea of Thieves would be worse off, like exponentially worse off. And it's definitely harpoons, storage crates, and the supply barrels um, sink or rising up from from sinking ships. Um, and I think that's kind of it as far as 2022 goes. Uh, it's been a very interesting year. I think there's been a lot of changes to the game for better. Um, I think that they've really kind of honed in what they want to do with stories as far as telling stories or telling the 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 narrative of sea of thieves i think adventures have hit really well uh as far as like bringing content to the world on a regular basis that players can experience um it does create a sense of fomo but i do think that the that if you do miss out on that stuff you're not missing a ton you're really not missing a whole lot you're getting maybe one or two uh mementos from the adventures that really aren't that impactful like if you have them you have them if you don't it's not the end of the world uh so i do like that aspect um we've also seen some really good changes to uh athena's fortune as well as bringing in the battle for sea of thieves and expanding a system of leveling that goes beyond just the original reputations and adds a little more flavor to sea of thieves in the sense of pvp as a result it's also made the regular seas a lot safer too I think I was sailing uh, on Saturday with uh, Kylea, the aficionado in Big Bad Pad, and we were working on emissary ledgers and we didn't get bothered at all. We saw reapers come and go. We saw people dive and we never had any issues with that. Uh, and we got to do whatever we wanted as a result. Um, we were ready for a fight and we were okay with getting into a fight but genuinely no one ever did kind of come at us um so it gave us the ability to work on our ledgers in peace which was fun because i know at least for from my perspective kylea was not feeling well and i would hate to have to put that much stress on someone who is struggling with feeling sick at the moment um, especially when all they're trying to do is work on something as as silly as emissary ledgers that we could always work on this month as opposed to last month but it gave us an opportunity to hang out. And I think I treasure those moments more than anything else in Sea of Thieves is the time I spend with other folks. So now that 2022 is behind us or 2022, I don't know why I said 2022. That's dumb. That's not a way you say years. Uh, as that's behind us, looking forward to 2023, um, I don't know what the future is going to hold, but I can say that uh, there are a few goals in game that I've set out for myself, and I think goals are very important. In fact, um, as I was kind of thinking about it today and, and with it being the new year, everyone likes to try and set goals for themselves. Uh, and one of the things that I that I said to someone online that I, I hope they take to heart, uh, it ties to kind of setting up goals for yourself. And this is what I'd, I'd kind of written out for them. Goals are everything in my mind. If you don't have something to drive toward, you're just letting go of the wheel. Take the helm. Set sail with intent. Only you know where you're going. Everyone else is just helping trim the sails or burn pineapples. 
And I 100% believe that everyone around you is either helping or harming you, but only you know what you're going to do in the future. And you should be the one that is in control of that. So get those goals, set them for yourself. Even if you don't achieve them, the fact that you set them shows intent shows drive and you're the one that's going to be the one that's driving so make sure that you grab the helm make sure you set that heading and you make sure that your wind uh, that your sails are, are trimmed to catch as much wind as you can to accomplish those goals so for 2023 one of the main goals that i have i want to be able to attend the sot fests that are that are going to be going on the uk one is pretty locked in for right now but there is an na one that dead i uh, that dead pirate drug is or dead pirate drug dead pirate doug is working on that i hope comes to fruition and allows folks that are in the na that can't travel across countries uh to be able to go to meet up with many of us across the the, the entire country um who have been wanting to actually spend time with us uh in 20 yeah 2020 i got a chance to meet a whole bunch of folks in january at a small uh, get together in San Francisco. And that was fantastic. And it wasn't until 2022 that I got to even meet any other people for Sea of Thieves at SOT Fest UK. Now with 2023 happening and the pandemic under wraps or coconut fever under wraps, um, I'm looking forward to having uh, two SOT Fests to go to, to meet up with my UK friends that I love over there. And also any of the NA friends that I haven't gotten to meet yet that will become new friends. Um, besides that, I wanted to talk about some of the commendations in Sea of Thieves that have been lingering around for many years that I've been sitting on. So one of the main ones that I have that may come as a surprise is the Sailor of Athena's Fortune commendation. This is the one that you need to do to be able to get your pirate legend capstan. And I didn't realize it until today that I am at 941 miles of 1000. I am 59 miles away from being able to get my pirate legend capstan and the fact that i didn't have it kind of makes me feel embarrassed that it's been this long that it's been in the game and i never thought that i actually should put down a voyage to continue sailing on those miles it's it's kind of silly the other one that i wanted to get is the legendary merchant of fauna i am only at grade two of this and it's it's embarrassing because i've only turned in 88 animals uh, on time as a pirate legend since 2018 88 animals that's it so i'm going to start working on animal voyages i'm going to start trying to get them i'm going to start going to try and start actually turning them in on time so that i can work on that as well as the merchant voyager which i'm at grade five for and i have 175 out of 250 merchant voyages complete which boggles my mind I do not know how I have 175 merchant voyages complete out of 250, but I've only turned in 88 animals on time since becoming Pirate Legend, which really does speak to the fact that back in the day, all you had was animals, which means that all of the animals that I've turned in over the years has only been during the time where I wasn't Pirate Legend because that was all we had versus skeleton forts. That was it. Um, but I'm very, very like gun ho driven 
to try and get these animals safely to to the merchant alliance so that they can finally get them to the places they need to be which is probably a frying pan if we're being 100 percent honest let's let's be let's not kid around they're getting cooked somewhere outside of the sea of thieves i don't know where but somewhere so i've got a long way to go it's at it's at 100 for grade two so i can't even imagine how many animals i'm gonna have to turn in to get to get to grade five but that's on the list then I want to work on the legendary Hunter of the Ancient Terror. This is the only other uh, Megalodon um, commendation that I don't have done uh, besides the Shrouded Ghost. And right now I'm at 33 of 50 in grade 5, which means that I still have the, the last, what is that, 17 more ancient terrors to kill so it's going to be my goal and this is going to this is going to take longer sessions but i want to go and make sure that when i'm sailing around if i encounter megalodon regardless of what it is i kill it so that i put myself into the pool of uh, potential recipients of a different type of megalodon that will hopefully be an ancient terror um, which means that it's going to really kind of slow down my day-to-day -day as i go out sailing but I want to try and get that one finished up so that all I have left is the Shrouded Ghost. Then I want to work on uh, two different Voyage Veil completions um, besides the, the Merchant's one. And the first one is the Gold Hoarder Voyages, the Gold Voyager, which I'm very close on. I'm on grade five. Out of 250, I've got 203 complete Gold Hoarder Voyages. This is one that has been popping up on my Xbox as you're near the, near the achievement for this. Um, and it's been taunting me for far too long. I need to just knock out the last like 47 voyages and just get them done. I need to complete this so I can get it off of the Xbox screen because that and the Merchant Voyager one have been constantly rubbing it in my face that I'm not running voyages. The other one that's a voyage that I want to get done is the Veil Seeker one. Now, this one's going to be a little bit tougher because this one is the complete 100 Legend of the Veil voyages. Right now, I'm at grade four. I have 35 out of 50 complete, which means to complete 100 more, I'm going to need to do 65 more Veil voyages. And I'm there for it because I definitely don't mind doing those, but it's going to be hard to work on Veil voyages as well as Merchant voyages uh, to try and get the Merchant of Fauna stuff done. I don't know how. That's my goal for 2023, to try and finish those voyages. Um, and I think the last one that I have to do is something that I can kind of pair up with the Gold Voyager one. Uh, I still have 47 more uh, voyages for the Gold Hoarder to do. And I have the Hoarder of Ancient Tributes commendation, which is complete or return 50 chests of ancient tribute to the gold hoarders. And that's kind of the vaults, right? I need to get the vaults done. So right now I'm at grade five. I've got 38 of 50 chests turned into the gold hoarders. Um, and I want to try and get that one knocked out as well, too. I want to try and get those vaults one vault ones done, because if I can get those done, then that will help kind of round out the sales, the livery sets that I don't have special that are tied to those commendations. Um, so really, I'm trying to take a look at some of the sets that I have for my ship that I am missing pieces from and seeing which of those I can start working on to try and finish up those sets. Um, because I'm hoping that with me working on uh, uh, animals, with, with me working on veils, with me working on um, uh, uh, vaults, 
that I can start to build up the gold that I don't have to be able to finish purchasing up the Dark Adventurer set. And that's kind of one of the main other goals that I want to do is I want to try and get the, the Dark Adventurer set knocked out because it's a lot of gold. It's it's very tough to try and get all of that. And it, it's going to take me a lot of time to work on those that I won't be able to put into for uh, the the um, different allegiances for defending. Now, I, I, and that's the other thing too, is the fear of losing loot. Um, I love denying loot, but I, I, I hate losing it. So defending while on the battle for Sea of Thieves is something that I'm always very scared of because I don't want to lose my loot. And I, I'm not as comfortable in PVPing as I used to be. And as a result of that, um, it's it's tough for me to want to risk going and defending on the battle for Sea of Thieves while working on a Veil voyage or a, a vault uh, and having all that treasure and losing it as a result. I know the, the, the risk and reward is there, but I don't know that I'm comfortable enough taking that risk, um, which is always a choice, right? It's always something that is a choice for you to make. But that's kind of what my goal is for 2023. And I'd be curious to hear if any of you have done any goals uh, for 2023. It's always the custom in the beginning of the year. You set goals for yourself and you try and accomplish them. These are the ones that I've kind of set up for myself. And I'll be interested to see come 2024 where I landed with a lot of these. I'm going to be saving this document online so that I can refer to it and uh, see like if if I've, uh, you know, what I've been able to complete, what, I, what I've been able to work towards and see... Like, you know, how good am I at accomplishing my goals? Was I able to get my skeleton curse? Was I able to get my ghost curse? Uh, was I able to knock out the rest of my uh, pirate legend Athena's fortune commendations? Was I able to finish up my gold hoarder and merchant commendations? Um, will I ever consider working on the hunter's call stuff? Probably not. We'll have to see. But those are kind of the things that I wanted to do for this episode to kind of set the stage for the rest of the year, knowing nothing about the story or where it's going to take us, but understanding that my pirate still has check boxes to hit. And if there's anything I can do for myself, it's to round out the sets of, of cosmetics that I, I set out and have accomplished most of, but not all. And I want to try and do that for myself. I want to try and say that I can work on these and I can complete these because they are achievable goals and I'm willing to set those for myself and make sure that I focus on them. So I hope that you do the same. I hope that you do that for not only your pirate, but also for yourself in 2023. I hope you work towards becoming the better person that you know you can be uh, this year. Do the thing that is going to be a little outside of your comfort zone. Try and push yourself to be a little more productive or a little better or a little more healthy or to uh, be open to different experiences and have fun with stuff. Try some different foods. Um, have someone push you in a direction that you normally wouldn't go to do something. Um, and I think that's going to be it, Pirates. I think that's going to do it for this episode. So. If you enjoyed this, uh, if you liked it, um, as always, there's plenty of ways to to let me know. You can always head over to Twitter at CAPT underscore L-O-G-U-N. You can always message me there. You can always uh, reply to the tweets that I do uh, for the, the Sea of Thieves content that I put out. Um, you can also head over to at Pod on Twitter as well, too. I'm, I've got the, the podcast uh, account there for now. Uh, you can also write in, too. There's also the 
the email, C-A-P-T-L-O-G-U-N at gmail.com. And we have the Discord too. Um, and just tonight, we're actually trying to get some folks, uh, the, the Grog Monet stuff before it ended up. Um, but unfortunately, it didn't work out. But the Sherpa program's there. If people want to learn how to do some stuff, uh, they're there to help try and instruct folks on how to uh, get through the game since not a lot of it is, is explained. Um, but there's also the adventure uh, folks as well, too, if you're looking to join up with other folks uh, you can always post in there and see if anyone's available um, i always keep an eye on it but i don't always have an, uh, an opportunity to jump into sale with folks because i'm usually working on something else or just distracted by other games at the moment that i'm, I'm like trying not to be addicted to so uh but i think that's going to do it pirates so um with that thank you i love you and I look forward to sailing with you on the sea of thieves cyberpunk tabletop games or excited for cyberpunk 2077 are you looking to brush up on the lore stay up on all the latest news and talk about the game when it comes out check out the cyberpunk Lorecast, a show from robots radio with me your host robots we'll go over all the details you need to know about the world characters and story of cyberpunk available on itunes spotify google play and anywhere else you get your podcasts. In a world where solid-state electronics and vacuum tubes are still meta, people never stop loving atomic-powered everything. A chosen 500 stepped inside a subterranean vault to be spared the nuclear horror of the inevitable Great War. 25 years later, they emerge after the fallout settles to retake Appalachia. Among them, two former rivals whose blood feud will tear West Virginia apart in their epic struggle for survival. Chad, a vault bro who has a strength of 15, an intelligence of two, and is a complete wasteland dickhead. Simon, a complicated anti-hero who chooses light and hope, but accidentally becomes a cannibal and wakes up naked and afraid with a Scorch Beast Queen after a date goes terribly wrong. What? I mean, it's a wild wasteland, right? This dark humor radio drama will have you driving off the road and crawling out from under the fallout. Two men. One wasteland. And so many nukes. Chad, a Fallout 76 podcast, rated R, now streaming on your holotape player podcasty thing.